You're listening to teaching from Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. When I hear people talk about praying or reading their Bible, I know those are important things to do, but I don't know where to start. I go to church, but I want to grow. I want to share my faith and develop spiritual habits, but I don't know how. And it's hard to ask for help. I don't want people to think less of me, and I'm not sure who to ask. I could probably just Google it. But who knows what I would find? I just want to know how to. Today we're going to finish up our how-to series by talking about how to share your faith. Now I know what you're thinking. Can we talk about anything else? Because talking about your faith with your family and friends is a little intimidating. And if we're being honest, having someone else try to evangelize you is probably the most uncomfortable thing in the entire world. Maybe you've had experiences like this. You're sitting at your house, you're not expecting any company, and you get a knock at the door, and you open it up, and there's someone there who just wants to tell you about their beliefs. Or maybe you've walked past a street corner preacher who's preaching some sort of hellfire and brimstone sermon into a megaphone or a microphone. They're using guilt and manipulation, and everyone who's coming by is just trying to avoid eye contact and just get about with their day. Or maybe you've gone into H-E-B or a restaurant. When you came out, there was a pamphlet about Jesus shoved under the windshield wiper plate of your And now you're thinking, man, I've got to get rid of someone else's trash. We've all had these experiences and seen these examples of of bad evangelism. People sharing their faith in impersonal ways and argumentative ways and harmful ways. My least favorite way that people try to do this is those fake $20 bills that sometimes you'll see people leave at restaurants instead of a tip. And usually it's a pamphlet that you flip it over and it'll say something like, here's a tip, Jesus loves you. And it'll have like John 3.16. It's really harmful to the server who's working hard, trying to uh, make a livelihood and pay their bills. And here they find this scrap of paper. and It probably makes Jesus seem pretty uncaring and unconcerned with the real needs of their life. And it's probably not very helpful to them at all. And we've seen these bad examples of evangelism so often that sometimes it's hard to even think of what it would look like to share your faith in helpful and healthy ways. So I thought if we're going to learn how to share our faith, we probably need to find some good examples of people who shared their faith. So today we're going to look at two examples from the New Testament of the Bible. This is the last portion of the Bible, the part that talks about who Jesus was and what the early church looked like. And we're going to look at these two examples of people who shared their faith in good ways. The first example is the example of Andrew. We read about his story in John chapter 1. John is a biography of Jesus, and this is pretty early on in Jesus' story. John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. The next day again, John, and this is talking about John the Baptist, who was Jesus' cousin, who had been out in the wilderness preaching about repentance. John had a following of people, and it says, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And he, they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, 
where are you staying? He said to them, come with me and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour, which is about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who had heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, pay attention to what Andrew did. He had a very short encounter with Jesus. He's following John the Baptist around. John the Baptist says, this is the Lamb of God. So he goes and follows him and listens to him and stays with him for the day. And he's convinced that Jesus was the person that God had sent into the world to set things right, to redeem the world, that he was actually the Lamb of God. And so he goes and he gets his brother. He says the first thing that he does is he goes and gets his brother and he tells them, you know the person we've been hoping for, the person we've been expecting God to send? Well, I have found him. I've experienced him. I've listened to him. You need to come with me to meet Jesus for yourself. He simply shared his experiences and brought his brother to Jesus. Now imagine how things would be different if Andrew hadn't brought Peter to Jesus. Andrew became one of the followers of Jesus, one of the closest followers of Jesus, but Peter ended up becoming part of Jesus' inner circle. He experienced everything that Jesus had to offer on earth when he walked around and taught and healed people and performed miracles. He was there for it all. After Jesus died and and rose and ascended, Peter was the one who preached the first sermon on the day of Pentecost when the church was started. We read about his stories in the book of Acts and as the early church is being established, and he has writings to other Christians that are included in the Bible. Peter became an important part of the story of Jesus and the story of the church, but his story with Jesus starts because his brother shared his faith. His brother said, I've experienced something. I want to take you to Jesus. So just imagine how things would be different if Andrew hadn't done this. So that's example number one. Example number two is from Paul, and it comes from Acts chapter 17. Now, Paul was traveling around Greece starting churches, and he finds himself in Athens. And we see in verse 16, Acts 17, 16, now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him. The New Revised Standard says that he was deeply distressed as he saw that the city was full of idols. If you went to ancient Athens, you would see idols everywhere. Uh, Up on the top of the hill was the Parthenon. This is Athena's temple, and it has a huge statue to the goddess Athena there. As you're walking down the streets and in the marketplace and everywhere you go, there's shrines and idols and altars and inscriptions to all the gods and goddesses. So Paul is disturbed by this. So he goes and he starts having conversations with people in the synagogues talking to the Jewish people there who are worshiping and learning in the synagogues. And he goes to the marketplaces where people are having conversations. And he's doing this every day. And eventually, he starts having conversations with some philosophers, the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. And and they eventually bring him to a place where people gather to discuss new ideas, this place called the Areopagus. And they say to him in verse 19 of Acts 17, May we know this new teaching that you're presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. The text tells us that the Athenians would just sit around and and listen to new ideas and discuss them, that the city council and the leading court, these people would just come and listen to ideas and discuss them and debate them. 
So Paul stands up in their midst, and this is what he says. Men of Athens, I have perceived that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor does he serve by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we, not ought, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art or the imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands that all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to us by raising him from the dead. Now, notice what Paul didn't do. We know that he was very distressed by the amount of idolatry that they have. But rather than coming in and running down their beliefs as ignorant or arguing with them or you know, just trying to convince them how immoral they are, he starts by complimenting them. He says, look, I, I recognize here that, that you are very religious. And he doesn't come in and try to impress them. He doesn't like try to win them over with some grand argumentation. Paul was a very intelligent man. He wrote very complex things, but instead he only proclaimed to them Jesus and who Jesus was. It reminds me of what he said to the church in Corinth when he says, when I came among you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom, although I believe Paul was capable of doing that. He says, instead, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So rather than trying to impress the people of Athens, he comes to them and he, he just simply says, I, I want to connect with you and I want to tell you about Jesus. So he finds common ground with them. He says, I perceive that you're religious in every way. And then he appeals to something he saw in the city, altars to an unknown God. There's a tradition in Athens that declared that there was an ancient plague and that they had made sacrifices to all the deities and the plague had not gone away. So they sent for a wise person, uh, Epimenides, and he advised them to release sheep all over the city. And anywhere where the sheep laid down, if there was an altar or a temple there, make a sacrifice at that altar or temple. But anywhere where a sheep laid down that didn't already have an altar, erect an altar to an unknown God, because clearly they had done something to offend a God that they didn't even know. Paul even seems to be quoting from Epimenides here, and he affirms his description of God. He finds common ground with these people, even though they had very little in common. He wrote to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 9, 19. 
For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. And this was an idea that Paul lived out and we see him doing this here in Athens where he, he connects with the people on a deep level. He appreciates who they are. He affirms the truth and beauty he finds in their culture. But he also focuses on Jesus. And the thing that was distinct about Jesus was Jesus conquered death. And he focuses on Jesus' resurrection, even though he knows it's going to be controversial for the people. So he finds common ground, but he's not afraid to focus on Jesus. So you may be thinking, well, what happens after Paul stands up and delivers this grand speech and he connects with the people and he finds this common ground with them? Obviously, everyone in the crowd can be moved and become Christians and start following Jesus, right? Well, that's not what happened. When we look at Acts 17, this is what it says. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some joined him and believed. A lot of people mocked him. Some said, hey, we'll listen to this again. Only a few actually held on. But Paul still here gives us a good model for what it looks like to share your faith. So what does it look like for you and I to share our faith? Well, a couple of things I think we can do. First, we can listen. Recently, we talked with the teenagers about what it looks like to listen well, because I believe that listening is a lost art in our culture. And we suggested to them that they should listen with their mind, their heart, their body, and their curiosity. Listening with your mind means that you need to fight the urge to let your mind wander when you're having conversations with someone. You're not processing what you're going to say next in response, but instead, you're actually taking in the words that they are saying. Listening with your heart means that you're trying to connect with the person. You actually care about them and you're moved relationally toward them. Listening with your body means that your phone is put away, that you're making eye contact, that you're affirming to the person that you care about them by your presence and by the way you look at them. And listening with your curiosity means that you ask good questions, that you really are trying to get to know them well. If we wanna share our faith, if we wanna follow the good examples that we see in scripture, we need to learn to listen. We also need to learn to empathize. It's really easy for us to disassociate from the people that we're talking with when we talk about our faith, but we need to be able to put ourselves in their position, see things from their point of view. We also need to put their needs first. It's easy for us to want to share our faith because we want to feel good about ourselves. It puts us in a position of authority when we know something that someone else doesn't know. But if we're taking their needs into consideration and putting their needs first, that better allows us to share our faith. And then we need to do what Paul did. We need to find commonality. It's easy to point out the differences. Anyone can do that. But to find common ground with the person that you're sharing your faith with. We need to be prepared to share our story. Like Andrew did. He just simply told his brother what he had experienced. But we need to learn to share our story when we're asked. When we've put ourselves in a position that people want to know our story. We need to fight the urge to try to answer all of their questions. 
people have a lot of questions and it's important to address them along the way. But we don't need to put ourselves in the position where we're the answer man for all the questions that they have. Instead, we just need to focus on Jesus. And we need to focus on relationships. When we focus on Jesus and we focus on relationships, when we focus on putting God first, the power of Jesus' resurrection, and the love that God has given to us to give to other people, then we're in a position to share our faith well. I love what Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. He said in 1 Thessalonians 2.8, we loved you so much that we share with you not only the God's good news, but our own lives too. And when we think about sharing our faith, it needs to be in the context of healthy relationships, that we're sharing with them not just the truth of who God is, not just the good news that God has sent us with, but also our own lives, that we're sharing our lives with them. And when we do this, we're actually following the examples, not just of Andrew and of Paul, but of Jesus himself, who came and lived among us, who loved us and shared his own life with us.